young people who are coming out of college and should need to learn in those entry-level jobs, the more you educate yourself on how AI can be a tool to make you as effective as possible and to make you like smarter than the rest, and it's not a competition, but you know, like to really integrate it as a tool for you in everything that you do, so that now you're taking away the kind of basic entry level stuff and you're starting to think creatively and you're adding value and your intellectual, basically intellectual capital. Like, you know, IP is a big thing, but like you have a lot of IP in your brain. So using AI, knowing AI, knowing how to use AI and then leveraging that for mm -hmm. your own creativity, I think is the future for young people in, in all of, you know, all of these industries that we're getting into. Yes, James, thank you so much. And Elijah and Lisa, thank you for having me. My name is Erin. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Navit. So I Navit is a financial health product that takes both behavioral health, stress levels, and financial health and provides people a roadmap to achieve their financial goals. So we I started as a behavioral scientist. I spent 12 years running crazy big programs in mainly in Sub-Saharan Africa for the mm -hmm. US government or other developing development kind of companies. And what I saw over there was, you know, we were able to really move the needle on people's behavioral health. We were able to get them into health services, but it, you know, it really mattered. We were preventing diseases. We were increasing people's, you know, longevity. But at the end of the day, if we didn't provide them some sort of financial service and opportunity, it really didn't move the needle for their children and like that intergenerational wealth. And Africa was one of the first continents to get mobile peer-to-peer -peer payments. So they had M-Pesa before we had Venmo basically. Mm -hmm. And it really changed the, the needle in that on that continent on how like peer-to-peer -peer lending and money could move in a cash-based society. So when we took behavioral health products, services and and then actually health services and married that with financial education and, and access to services that was really the goal when we saw behavior change and people really be able to kind of change the trajectory of their lives and their their children's lives so that's my origin story that's my background um yeah and then looking at navit specifically the yeah. i noticed doing a bunch of research on the company that it seems to be b to b to c um, could you explain it a little bit about the calculus between like why having that B in the center instead of just doing like B to C? Great question. And, you know, originally we started B to C. So you probably saw a lot, a lot of things, especially around 2020, like during the COVID, you know, we had just launched our, our kind of savings auto save product right in March of 2020. We got 10,000 downloads in three days because the world wow. was shutting down. Everyone was super stressed mm -hmm. um, financially. Uh, but what we realized, we realized two things. One was I've really, we really tried to root our overall revenue model in a subscription, a health narrative, like a health mm. service model which which means there has to be some sort of subscription or some sort of kind of like you know consumer either paying or someone's paying for this product and the reason we did that was instead of uh, the alternative is rooting it in a, fi a fintech product like selling a card you know making all my making it free to everyone but making money on my card that i'm selling you right the interchange of the of the card or the credit or the savings account and the reason we've inverted it into that health model was is really because i don't want to be beholden to pushing a financial product down your throat if it's not the right product for you. Mm. And so 
And that, you know, that's just, that's the nature of the fintech world, like finances provide products, they don't provide services, healthcare provides services, right? So the at the time when we were looking at the kind of consumer world, we thought we could probably get people to do top ups and pay, you know, 99 cents or a dollar per month for our services. But the the those were people that were coming to us who really had financial needs and we didn't want to have to charge them. So where we decided to land and with a lot of research and actually consume like actual employers coming to us was that, OK, employers right now, especially in the last year, you know, since COVID and and we we doubled down about a year ago on B2B to see what they have a massive incentive to have financially secure labor force, right? And they actually have the dollars to be able to put towards, you know, financial benefits for their employees. And there there's a lot of frustration in the in the employer HR market that they provide all these financial benefits, like they provide an HSA or 401k, but no one uses them. Mm. And we're going into them saying, hey, we can we know why people are not using them. They're not using them because they think they have no money at the end of the month to give you in that 401k or that HSA. We can go to the root cause. We can help them manage their cash flow. We can give them a kind of roadmap towards their financial health. And then they can then we can figure out how they can optimize those other benefits that you provide. And they should pay the employer should pay for it because it gives them a healthier, happier workforce. And the data that we provide them is really powerful. So that's why and it's it's been very successful. <laughs> Do consumers actually have leftover money right now? You know, ironically, in weird ways, they do and they don't. So credit is utilized right now at an insane level, mm -hmm. like our, our levels of, you know, credit, you, and you know the statistics on that. 1.1 trillion. Yep, 1.1 trillion. And that's, you know, that's a mix of a lot of different things. But mm -hmm. on the opposite side, you know, since COVID, that fluctuate, there was a massive amount of savings during COVID um, in, ter in terms of like deposits and people's savings account. But that started to fluctuate now uh, with, with you know, going back to kind of the normal, whatever the normal status is now. Um, but there still is more savings than there was pre-COVID in people's accounts. And I think honestly, and you mentioned this before we started talking, a lot of that has to do with the student loan debt repayment not being paid. And that's going to be a completely different narrative next year, I think, with the new the payments. But how much more required. runway is left, in your opinion, for the Fed to start cutting before we see another recessionary period? It's a good question. You know, it's this is the weirdest thing. And economists, you know, are flummoxed because we have this incredible tech boom with even and now AI is here that's just kind of artificially inflating the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And employment is high. You know, we we don't have high unemployment. So I I think that they are going to be able to get maybe one or two more cuts. And then mm -hmm. we're going to have to I think it's really going to come down to what happens in the Middle East, what happens in our elections in 24 and also if if anything resolves around the Ukraine Russia conflict. That's really interesting. Um I would I would say when you talk to a, your core audience of, of young professionals, what is the yeah. number one thing that, that they may not understand about money that, that you'd be willing to spill as a secret today? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think people are very savvy. I think a lot of times they're not confident in mm. like, and I think there is definitely like that our young demographic that you're talking about has now had the joy and maybe the pain of being a digital generation that's seen like now has had PayPal or Venmo on their phones for the last 10 years, you know, and so there's a savviness to it. But I think at the very core of what we do, we teach people there are three fundamental pillars to financial health that are non-negotiable. It's how you build wealth in this world. 
And it's very simple. It sounds very simple, but it's hard to do when you have inflation and the things that happen in our world, right? Number mm -hmm. one is spend less than you earn. Like see at the very, even if you save $5 a month, you're trying, you're trying, you're, you want to be in the green, right? You want to, you don't want to be in the hole. So spend less than you earn, have an emergency fund. So like have that padding three to six mm -hmm. months of emergency fund. If there's some urgency, you need to leave a bad job. You want to move across the country for your boyfriend or girlfriend, <laughs> you know, and the third one is credit. Like hmm. high interest debt is killer. Compound interest works really well for you on the investment side, but it also really, really hurts you on the credit side. So as much as possible, really watch out and try and stay out, off of high interest debt and oh. pay it down if you That's interesting. What if what have your guys' experience been with, with saving um, you know, just as as young freshmen in college? Yes. Well, in terms of credit cards, I was actually looking to get one over Thanksgiving break with my dad. And after applying to a few and getting rejected from all of them, <laughs> I realized that a lot of credit cards aren't actually lending to anyone under the age of 21 now. Like they're not giving cards to anyone under 21 hmm. because they're like obligated to, if they do that, have a co-signer and they kind of don't want people under 21 to get a card hmm. because like it's just bad PR in a way. And also a not so good investment. So I was looking to get one, but I, I just couldn't. What about you? Fascinating. I, oh, sorry. Oh yeah. I was going to say like, like for a freshman, so we get like monthly allowance or some kind of like that. And sometimes just kind of like struggle with like, okay, how should I like manage this money like in this month or yeah, like we're freshmen. So it just like, we all kind of like struggle of like, how should we manage this and how should we like save it or like, Mm -hmm. Should we like invest in it or like in which way should we deal with this money? So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a great question. I have two questions, if you don't mind, James. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. I'm curious, Elijah, did you ha have you had any sort of credit history before this? Like, yeah, this is the and this yeah. is I tell this to people all the time. They're just, like my son has a savings account. I put him on I, when he's 13. I will put him on my credit card and give him like $10 limit. <laughs> But there is something really important about young people building credit and and usually doing it in the safety of within your family, right? Like on your parents' credit, hmm. because you kind of get grandfathered into a high credit score if your parent, you know, if you've been using your parents' credit. Um, so that's really great lesson. And I and I would suggest try try applying for the Apple Card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard it, and it's up for the next year, right? Before they have to figure out who is going to take it over. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah, and guarantee, I guarantee you, they will find someone to take that over. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm I'm used to having cards that are like out of style. I have a First Republic debit card, so <laughs> that one's that one's still it's still in my wallet until it's still around. It's still, it says JP Morgan. Where's so. the SVB one? I know, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's a pretty green card, though. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. Does it still work? Yes, Is it, a yeah. it still works. Yeah. Um, I, in fact, I still have an app that says First Republic Bank, but yes. uh, it says like now a part of J.P. Morgan Chase when you open the app. So and it's, it's moving. It's moving next year, but I have until yeah. then to have my my pretty green card. Your pretty, pretty green card. Yeah. 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 I have a very nice green uh, water bottle from one of their events, so I'm going to keep that. I have a feeling that card is going to sell for a lot eventually. Like in 20 years, you could sell that for a lot of money as a collector's item. You should keep hang on to it. And the and the water bottle, the water bottle seems really cool. The yeah, right. The green is like a unique green. I feel like yeah, really yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep the good idea. Collector's item. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Lisa, I'm curious of you know when you say you guys start it, I it's really hard as a student because you're in this kind of very insular environment, right? Where 
there's stuff to spend on, but there's not a ton to spend on, but, and you don't have that much money, but everything is kind of paid for too. It's like a very weird thing, but I, how have you navigated that? Have you, do you have an like estimate of, do I save a little and spend the rest? Yeah. So, um, mine is just kind of different. My mom just like throw me like a bunch of money, like, and, and it's like for six months and she was like, okay, you manage yourself. So it's oh, like, great. so yeah, so I have like my checking, my saving and then I Great. have like my portfolio that I just like, okay, trying to like put money in there so I don't spend that much. But sometimes it's just like, you know, at the end of like my month six, I was just like, okay, struggling of like, so I don't have that much left. What should I do with this? <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> That's so healthy to learn in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. And you're smart to be saving and investing in it, right? Mm -hmm. Like investing, the, the best thing you can do in investing is time. And you guys are young and investing now gives you a lot of time to, to make that return over time. But also enjoy your life and spend your money. You're in, you're in college, you're gonna make more. <laughs> and, I mean, another thing we talk about, um, we've talked about incessantly in past episodes is just how little APR some of these savings accounts are still offering. Um, so if you're not getting at least 4%, you need to look for a new savings account, in my view, at this absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're just saving money. Do you do you partner with with different HYSAs and, and other like CDs with um, and and yeah. offer those products to to consumers as well? So we have referrals. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. We're very careful of who we refer to. Mm -hmm. um, we did in our in our consumer app we did have our own savings account mm -hmm. uh we're deciding how we roll that out with the employer that with the employer there is a new with the new um some of the new regulation that came out secure 2.0 and some of the things that happened after 2008 there is now some um incentives for employers to do a savings match mm -hmm. not just 401k match but a savings match it has to be attached to a 401k but um, so there are a lot of opportunities for us on the employer side to try and get more money into the hands of employees, mm -hmm. you know, if we can get them, you know, into these habits. So, yes, but we partner, but we have great uh, high yield savings partners. And we also, I, I am a big fan. So we do financial coaching. That's, mm -hmm. you know, we do a lot of automation and, you know, analysis of your data and gives your data back to you and give you kind of the next step. But mm -hmm. at the end, if you need to talk to us, accredited financial coach, we have them. And that is... Um, one of my favorite tricks when we, because we tend to get people that need to manage high high interest debt. Uh, one of my favorite tricks is to consolidate the debt into a zero APR, you know, credit card for a period of time to try and get them in, paying it off before the the high interest kicks in. So we have a couple of great cards like that. Yeah. yeah. So those credit cards that you can actually do a balance transfer on at zero percent. Absolutely. Yep. They love it. And you can get those at a low APR. Uh, no, Keith. Uh, sorry, at a low credit score, not low APR. My bad. Uh, it depends on the credit score. Uh -huh. Like they, you know, yeah, under six fifty is hard. Uh -huh. There are some that, that that you know are are specifically targeting six fifty to seven hundred. Um, and yeah, so it just depends on what they. Sometimes you can not. Maybe they can qualify for like two thousand dollars as opposed mm -hmm. to five thousand. What they really need, but you can at least get some of it onto a zero APR for a period of time. Yeah. So yeah. That's kind of nifty. So you just open up a, a credit card for the, the sole purpose of getting kind of a personal loan and you close it once you're done with it? I mean, essentially, like, the intention is to get off the high the high interest, mm -hmm. you know, then try and pay it off before the interest kicks in. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. High, I mean, high interest is so killer that like if you can as much as possible get get into a lower 
APR and especially a zero, like, you know, do it and then try and pay that thing off as fast as possible. What are what are your views on the ethics of 35% credit card rates? Oh, my God. There's, a, I mean, a lot of our system is broken. And that is 100% something that represents being broken. And it's interesting, you know, the things that CFPB is going after, they're trying to fix, like, plug holes in a dike. You know, like, I, there, there are a lot of problems with the system. And 35% is just unethical mm. on I in my opinion uh, yeah. at every level <laughs> you can't get lower than 15 now yeah yeah and that I mean that's that's by that's the feds kicking up the interest rate on the other end and you know banks having to pay out high yield those that those bonds and the CDs and the high yield that you're talking about mm -hmm. like it's that's all it's all connected but now we have default surging as well in those in those credit cards so it's going to start backfiring yeah remind me what that is I don't remember what that is. The the default rates on those credit cards. Oh, when it kicks in, yeah. No, yeah. no, I'm I'm talking about more so when when um the consumer is unable to pay back and they end up filing for bankruptcy, and um oh. just being unable to pay back that balance and the bank having to write that off. Yeah. Yes, we actually work with a group, uh, National Federation of the Credit Counselors, mm -hmm. that they help people get on a DPM plan like debt management plans, DMPs, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, file for vacancy or pay off, mm -hmm. you know, do the payoffs. And it's, it very, it's a very big consumer base right now. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I do think, I, I think there's something I would, I just finished the, the, have you guys heard of the book debt, the first 5,000 years? No, I highly recommend. I mean, it's funny. We're talking about this because I just finished it. Yeah. So, good. so good. I, I'll find the author. And, um, his like he basically backtracks where debt came from and and it's kind of and kind of the history of how we got to where we are and there is something really interesting in how convoluted it's become like initially it was just this like trading mechanism and mm -hmm. now it's become this like moral and like ethical and like un uncomfortable thing that we you know like we should pay back our debts but the debts are insane like 35% is unethical right like so you have mm -hmm. this like kind of moral overlay to something that is already unethical that it, yeah, it's it's a really good book if every if anyone's interested. We can geek out about debt and data. <laughs> I think that the U.S. Congress would look at that book and laugh in its face. Cong yeah, Congress <laughs> and its like lobbyists and its like you know the financial industry is just as big a lobbyist as the pharmaceutical industry and all the other things. I right. Think, so. I think people are starting to ask the question of why should I pay off my debts when the U.S. government can't even do it. Yeah. Yeah, and we're in trillions of dollars in we're, debt. It's a fiat. We're, we're working on fiat currency. Yeah. 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 yeah fair I, I was actually listening to the Wall Street Journal, I think, sometime last week, and they were talking about how the U.S. is trying to get more debt by selling off all the bonds and that the company that would, the, the country like China that would typically buy up those bonds and give us our money isn't doing it anymore. And they're trying to like resort to like shorter term bonds to get that money because they're struggling. We're in so much debt that we can't get more debt, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. that makes total sense. And putting it in perspective, now the U.S. government is spending more on interest than they are on the military, um, and we spend fifty percent of the U.S. or of the world's military spending. As you can see by the two wars that we're financing across the world right now, and it's only getting worse. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, you know what this makes me feel like is the same feeling that I always kind of feel is like something's got to give, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned recession. Um, I don't know when and how it happens, but something's got to give. Like this can't sustain itself forever. And yet we have all this 
income that's being generated on the tech side that's kind of you know suspending and keeping up our economy right mm -hmm. like this AI stuff and and I mean all of our tech opportunity but even that like the ads model is going to give at some point mm -hmm. so like it's a really interesting time I like I don't I am nervous but I'm not scared because I think probably it needs to go through some cycle mm -hmm. like you know we have economic cycles and we're just at the tail end of one that yeah, hopefully it doesn't hurt too many people. And just talking really briefly about um, the tech side, what is yeah. Navit's uh, position on cryptocurrencies for for investors? Great, Great question. Yeah. yeah. You know, we get that a lot. And I know young people, young, especially young men, are very much into crypto. I, I consider it part of a diversified portfolio. And mm -hmm. if that's something that really speaks to you, then great. But in any sort of logic, and I, I talked about fundamentals of finance, but like now the second, the fundamentals of investing is to be diversified, right? Mm -hmm. Like diversify all of the places that you are making money. So if you're, you have a high yield, great. If you start to invest, like I think Lisa was mentioning portfolio, like you're starting to, you know, let's say ETFs or mutual funds or even st individual stocks, like we want diversification in that. And then if crypto is something that speaks to you and it's something that you feel like is a is another part of a, a healthy portfolio, then great. I would definitely, like I know a lot of people that put all their chips in that basket and have lost a lot of money over the last couple of years. And I would definitely like caution you from trying to do that because it still has not been fully, it's yeah. still not fully mainstream, right? And the only way crypto really, really works is if it becomes a fee, a, a, a fiat, like a currency that you exchange on a daily basis and yeah. that it's not there yet. Yeah. And that kind of leads me into my next little thing I was wondering about, about the, if Navit recommends people to do investments, does that come with like legal responsibilities you have to deal with and how do you deal with them? Excellent question, my friend. So yes, we are absolutely not an advisor. So there's a whole <laughs> world called RIA, like, uh, you know, the people that are actual financial fiduciary advisors that give you advice on how to where to put your money. We are not that we never claim to be we refer you to people when you start to ask these like investment questions, you know, like we refer you to actual certified financial planners and, and advisors. What we have on our platform are what they call accredited financial coaches. So we really focus more so they're not giving you like advice and they're not telling you where to put your money. But what, like, especially on the investment side, but what they are doing is trying to help you create the behaviors and the habits that you need to be successful in life, right? So they 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 have behavioral health coaching, like like that, that education. So they're kind of they're looking at okay, when you what are you spending? Are you spending less than you are? And if you're not spending less than you are, and like where are you spending your money? Like what are suggestions on where to save money? Or like how do you? And what they're tying in that's the key differentiator here is. You know, money, people, people pretend like economics is linear and like everyone's logical, but money's really messy and emotional. Like we all have emotions around like our, our backstory with our families, how we show up in the world, like how money plays a role in our lives. Right. So yeah. what they do is look at the emotional, like, yeah, what's your mindset around it? Are you scared of it? A lot of people are really scared of money. Are you shamed about it? Are you excessive about it? Like, do you use it as retail therapy? Like I definitely did in my 20s, 100%. Um, you know, like, so, so it's really looking at that, right? Yeah. Like your mindset, your fight and your, and your basic accounting finance. It's like basically running a PL on your life, <laughs> which is not advising. That's we are coaches. <laughs>
So coming from a public health background, what would you say uh, or how would you say that's informed your approach with your business now? Um, because you I, I, I get this feeling that you're very holistic um, in what you do and that you really care about more of the health side. There was a famous quote from from the big short, which I assume every finance student has seen. Uh, every one percent unemployment goes up. Thirty thousand people die. I don't know yes. the validity of that, uh, but it makes sense in a lot of ways. So, yeah. um, what do you what do you think of that, and how does that factor into into the work you do? Yeah, thanks for that question. I, you know, I it, because I come from public health, you nailed it. Like I see finances as a tool to help you create a healthy and happy life. Like I am not, I am not focused on. Essentially, if you look at the financial industry, you have to look at how they're they're funded and how they're what their motivation is, right? And and essentially, financial services provides products. Like their job is to divide a you know a stock into five different pieces and give you a mutual fund, or to create credit and give you products that you can access credit on, or you know create bank accounts that where you can deposit your money. Like they are a product driven industry, and they make money by selling you products. They have no incentive for you to be financially healthy. In fact, they have a disincentive because yes. financially unhealthy people make a lot of money for them, right? So I do look at this from a lens of like, okay, if I actually genuinely care about the, the end American consumer, and we know, just like you said earlier, that they are there is a chronic disease of financial stress that directly affects people's life, health, their health outcomes, their lifestyle outcomes, and their relationships. So how do we reframe this conversation to have to help people see that finances are a tool to help them live a healthy lifestyle and that is a it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship for them mm -hmm. to then participate in the financial industry with their eyes wide open and knowing that they can get screwed and knowing this industry does not have their best interests in mind but those financial tools are really powerful tools to help you create wealth in this mm -hmm. country right I mentioned before I lived in Africa for a long time. Wow. So uh, Africa has a cash is a cash based society. And the, the reality of a cash based society is that you just do not have the capacity to grow wealth in the same way as you do in this country with credit. Right. They You can't get a two hundred thousand dollar loan to buy a house that then appreciates and you then make a hundred thousand when you sell it. Right. Like you, the cash does not work that way. So the power of our in, of our economic system and the credit that we have, it can really truly build. Like you, people are, yes, student loans is a sensitive subject, but back in the day when it wasn't a gajillion dollars to go to school, right? Twenty thousand dollar investment in a in in the ability to now make a hundred thousand on a you know annual basis that then increases was a good investment, but that has to be done on credit, mm. right? So I get very passionate about this because. If we can reframe finances as just part of your healthy lifestyle, I eat healthy, I work out, I sleep. I mean, I try to, right? I, like all my habits get, none of us are perfect, right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm living a healthy lifestyle, part of my last thing, so I eat healthy, I sleep well, and I pay attention to my finances. Like we're just trying to integrate that into the holistic health narrative. Yeah. Does, does money buy happiness? It's a great question. You know, there's some old study that said it, it buys happiness up to a certain, like, I think it was like a hundred thousand in, in annual revenue. And then afterwards it doesn't, it does, it mm -hmm. doesn't like, yeah. so you're unhappy until a hundred. And then the, like uh, after that, you're just, you know, you're dealing with all the dramas. Yeah. I would say I would invert it. And I would say you have to generate your own happiness. Like truly, like you, 
no matter like life is messy and I'm old enough now to have gone through enough dramas in life to be like, irregardless of money, life is really messy. And I have to generate internally my own happiness. I have to choose how I show up. If I'm, I'm not a victim, I, you know, I, you know, I am not happy about the situation, but I have a choice in how I deal with it, et cetera. Right. I would say that it just money just makes those really hard things in life a lot fucking easier. And I'm sorry, I'm using that word, <laughs> like, but I'm <laughs> no doing worries. it for, because I like, so for example, and this is, you know, I have been divorced. I've been happily married. I've been happily divorced. It's a lot easier to go through a divorce when you have money. Otherwise it costs, you know, nine to 10 to $20,000 to get divorced. If you don't have that, how do you do that? Do you mm -hmm. stay in a marriage? Do you, do you go into debt? Like, it's just life is easier when you have money and when you feel confident in the, uh, your ability to manage it. It doesn't buy happiness, but it does make your life a lot easier. Yeah, my mom always tell me that's like money can't buy happiness, but do you want to cry in the bus or cry in Mercedes? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that was yeah. a lot more succinct answer than mine. <laughs> Great. Um, we have talked about like cryptocurrency. We have talked about like fintech and stuff. Um, yeah. Like I used to intern with the HR company and yeah, we were like trying to like, you know, have the project that's like help like the employee like well-being. So yeah, when I saw like Navit, that's like financial well-being, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, yeah. I want to ask like, what trend do you see like in the like 12 to 18 months since like you know like right now the like technology ai and like the fintech is just like evolved like so fast like what trend do you see that's how like navit can help to navigate like these employee in like cryptocurrency side or like how do they like you know try to like deal with their money and stuff yeah, that's a great, great question. And it's interesting you've had the HR experience. It's definitely a, a specific world. And um, so I would say two things. I, you know, crypto is crypto is messy, but it's here to stay, right? And we'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to be it's going to be replacing the dollar in the next 10 years, but it's definitely something that exists. And so I I believe, especially for young people, that they need to be educated about it. And they also need to not buy into the Ponzi scheme, but it's like the solution for the, you know it's going to solve the world in five years. And, you know, we're all going to be one currency. Like that's, that's just not a reality. Right. So, so what, where now that can kind of help people is again, I go back to the fundamentals. There's something broken in our education system where we're not leaving high school understanding. We got to spend less than we are and have an emergency fund to pay off high interest debt. Like, you know, there's something. So if, if though, if you have those fundamentals, then, the conversation becomes how do you grow your wealth and so then you start having really cool conversations like you like you're having about how do what kind of credit card should i get that's like in my best interest that i pay off every month that helps my credit score and i get my amex and i get to be delta you know platinum or cryptocurrency like how am i what am i investing in how am i thinking about crypto because crypto is complicated you know you have like you have your stable coins, you have the the rails, like the Ethereum, mm -hmm. you have a lot of all the fake coins that all went under, you know, like, so if you are going to play in crypto, it really helps to be highly educated in how the financial system works first, because it's kind of a proxy, right? So, and what Navit can do for employees is help them navigate the basics, like help them optimize their paycheck. That's number one. 
help them connect. What we do is we help people connect their stress with their behavior, right? So you come into our app and you check your mindset kind of on a daily basis and you figure out what you're stressed about. And often you're stressed, not everyone's always stressed about money. That's fair. Like sometimes you're stressed about work. Sometimes you're stressed about friends. Sometimes you're stressed about health, you know, like your gut health, right? But that's a big one actually that comes up a lot. It's funny. Um, but so what we help people do is like, okay, how, how stressed are you? What are you stressed about? And does that have any relation to how you're behaving out in the world and how, how mm. and the financial decisions you're making? Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but just asking those questions help people be a little bit more conscious about the daily choices they make around their money. And really what we want is for them to spend less than they earn. And when they start making like paying attention and just pay, you know, understanding their goals, then they are much more likely to spend less than they earn and kind of achieve the things we, are, we suggest that they do. Aaron, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I just wanted to finish off with the one question that we ask every single guest that we bring on. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would give our average listener who is between the ages of 18 and 29 years old that would put them in a really awesome position in the next five to 10 years? Ah, great. Can I do two? <laughs> I think you're like the 10th person who's, who's asked to give two. Oh, really? Sure, yes, yes, two, right away, of course. That's too, too hard. Uh, so I'll do two, but different. So I'll do yeah. personal, personal finances. So again, if you're listening to this, you're someone who's curious, you're interested in finances, you're probably going to be fine. So being confident in your ability to manage finances and just open to learning how the system works is going to be in your self-interest. And if you're already listening to this, you already have a head start. So understanding how finances work, getting those fundamentals, and then thinking about all the cool ways you can grow your wealth is really, um, is really the, like, you know, if you do anything in your twenties, figure that out. Mm -hmm. Right. The second thing I would say is, um, cause you said the next five years and that, go then I go to careers and where technology is going. And we all know AI is, is happening, right? And AI is here to stay. It hasn't fully infiltrated, I think, into the daily life that that until, as it will, right? It will very soon. And people are talking about it's like the next electricity, right? So I think for young people, I was just listening to Barack Obama talk about this actually in his AI strategy, but I think it's a fair point of for young people, the risk is that AI takes away entry-level jobs, mm. right? Like it can do my legal brief, my like the, the most mundane legal brief possible, right? It can give me basic research. Um, but, and do you have to go? Sorry. No, we're fine. Okay. Um, so young people who are coming out of college and should need to learn in those entry-level jobs, the more you educate yourself on how AI can be a tool to make you as effective as possible and to make you like smarter than the rest and it's not a competition, but you know, like to really integrate it as a tool for you and everything that you do so that now you're taking away the kind of basic entry level stuff and you're starting to think creatively and you're adding value and your intellectual, basically intellectual capital, like, you know, IP is a big thing, but like you have a lot of IP in your brain. So using AI, knowing AI, knowing how to use AI, and then leveraging that for mm -hmm. your own creativity, I think is the future for young people in, in all of, you know, all of these industries that we're getting into. Wow. Thank you so much for being here today. 
Um, I just want to thank the IU Media School for allowing us to use our spaces today. Thank you to Dr. Monaco and Dr. Dokulich for their support and bringing this organization to, to where it is in just such a short, uh, short span of time. Uh, thank you for being here, Elijah, Lisa, thank you for being here. Uh, Aaron, thank you for being here, obviously. Uh, thank you for listening in today, and have an awesome day, everyone. Bye.